Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Today on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, Dad and I are doing something a little bit different. And by a little bit different, I mean Dad is currently recording this from Greece. That is an unusual occurrence for us. He is not normally there, but as listeners... Of Loose Ends will know, Dad and my sister Anne are currently travelling around the place. They were in England. Now apparently they're in fucking Greece. I'm fuming. Dad, just very, very quickly, because this is not a Loose Ends, are you enjoying yourself? What do you mean? Oh, right. So I've really set myself. I've put a noose around my neck, actually. I've already tied myself up. Oh, speaking, speaking of tied myself up, uh, well, speaking of tied up, today's case is one that you sent me. Uh, it happened back in 1946, 47, uh, around that time, in WA, over in Perth. It is an absolutely terrifying story. The case that you sent me is entitled The Concrete Slab Murder. Suffice to say, I'd never actually heard of it. But it all kicked off on the 16th of December, way back in 1946. And it was about 4pm, and uh, I'm not familiar with Perth uh, beyond a certain point. There was a river there called the Swan River, Right. And uh, two schoolboys were having a swim. And could you please talk myself and the listeners through what they found on that fateful day? Okay, so two young boys back in the 40s. Perth, yep. uh, I, I've been there and mm-hmm. I've actually uh, done some swimming over there. So yes. it's, it's wintertime, isn't it? Um, yeah. April, we're coming sort of, it's cooling down. Mm-hmm. And the schoolboys... Uh, swimming in the, the Swan River, which is a it's a big river, their major river, and they see something terrible. I mean, I mean, these kids, if they're they're probably still alive, and I don't think they'd ever forget what they saw. And they saw a uh, 
a woman floating face up. Um, and of course, they they approached her, realized it was a lady. It would have been a terrible sight because decomposition had, uh, had already commenced and she was bloated. Her face had been... It, the injuries were horrific. So they... they I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Dad, I am about to bring up a really grotesque metaphor. And if I've used it before, I apologize. You know when you drop a piece of toast and it's got butter on it, peanut butter, whatever, jam, mm, whatever. Mm. And it usually lands face down. Yeah. When a body is decomposing in the ocean... Mm. Statistically, is it more likely to float face down or face up? Because face up seems unusual to me and mm. I can't pinpoint why. Is it the position of the lungs? Like, what, It's a great what is question, it? Paul. In my experience, having dealt with too many to even contemplate. Um, in fact, that, that was, if I had to sort of talk about one of my areas of expertise when I was in, in fingerprints, mm-hmm. um, it was identifying, we used to call them floaters, I mean, floaters yeah. today are often, if someone sees a turd in the water, like out in the ocean, they call it a floater as well. But we used to call the bodies floaters. In fact, I even think they put them over police radio. Occasionally, a police officer at VKG would let it slip and sort of slip into the vernacular, you know, the street talk that police use, mm-hmm. which is really, yeah. really sort of weird and unprofessional. But I guess these things happen. Uh, but I would have to say, based on my experience... Um, I'd be going with face down. And as to why, I think that if the the arms would sort of create this sort of position as though you're... Imagine you're lying on a big ball, okay? So the hands are down, which would would sort of, in terms of gravity, I think it would be more natural for the body to assume the face down position. Um, okay. Although I've occasionally had had them the other way but there's a reason paul that this particular woman was face up and that is ah yes that she so the police rock up the the general duties police realized and what we're about to say is is unusual and that is that she had a piece of wire four strand wire very strong, tied around her waist. And the detectives very quickly involved, so did the government medical officer. At the scene of the... Well, it's a crime because this woman has this piece of wire. Now, interestingly enough, and this this needs to be taken into consideration, is that it was a left-hand twist. You know, Paul, if you get a piece of wire and you sort of put the two ends together and they're, mm-hmm. and they're overlapping. If I was to give you a piece of wire or give anyone a piece of wire and then we filmed it, for example, depending on whether you're right or left-handed, depending on which hand is your strong hand, yeah. determines the direction of the twist. This had a left-hand twist, but very, very interestingly. Listeners, the piece of wire was 20 inches long. In total. However, her waist size was 29 and a half inches. 
Now, 10 inches, Paul, is a lot. So this whole case that we're talking about today is all about circumstantial evidence. You don't need an offender to profess guilt. There are plenty of criminals out there that go to the gallows. Or I say gallows because in terms of the timing, they used... Oh, it's the 40s, yeah. The 40s. And it's Western Australia. Yeah. And Western Australia did, in 63, have the last Mm. execution, which was by hanging. So people often take the secrets to the grave for whatever reason. So when the police realise that the 20-inch piece of wire has been twisted around the woman and the person, the offender, has been able to do a left-hand twist sort of tie, they begin to realise, of course... I mean, what, what, what would that initially indicate to you, Paul, in terms of having a short piece of wire and being able to to do something, wrap it around a woman whose who's waist clearly exceeded the length of the wire? What what would you think as a police? If you just slip into the, the minds of a detective... Is there some? Mm. Is there a sort of an? Uh, is there a, some opinion that you would arrive at? I think you'd have to be pretty strong um, to do that. Yeah, and and obviously, like you said, left-handed twist. So a, a strong left-handed murderer, presumably. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Now then, what yeah. the? And I'm going to use the uh, the uh, the term he uh, statistically. <laughs> Statistically, it is more than not a male offender. Uh, I mean, we could be talking, we might have a surprise at the end and say, hey, it was a really, really strong female. But Mm -hmm. I don't... We we all know that no women are left-handed, Dad. Let's all... Well, I'm a left-handed and... Yeah. We we use a particular part of our brain. uh, Really? Yeah. The small part? No, no. (laughs) For left-handed people are, are multifaceted. Anyway, yeah. so but then so with <laughs> then the the they find a, a secondary piece of wire, yeah, uh, that is then sort of slotted through that piece to create a smaller ring, and then yeah. attached to that was a fifty-six pound, which is around about twenty kilos, or a bag of concrete. In today's sort of, uh, you know, to use a comparison, that was then tied to her body. The purpose of this whole exercise from the offender's perspective would have been to have got the, you know, to sink the body. I've seen this lab. It's very big. Mm. Uh, And I can see, you can see on it remains of what looks like, I'm in my crazy, or are these bloodstains, Dad? Um, Mm. Look where. Or is it just water staining because it's an old piece Uh... of. Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're looking at some photographs that are restricted photographs. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Paul, I think we pay homage or, you know, we, we, we thank the Australian Police Journal. Because, uh, but those, those uh, they do look like bloodstains, Paul. Um, but this is interesting. I mean, they don't really go into this in the case, but I'm thinking initially I feel that the body would have um, floated for a while, then gone. I mean, it's it's tied with a with a significant weight, but I'm thinking yep. because the bodies become distended and they fill up with gas and they bloat and they become like yes. a sort of a 
like basically a big balloon. Uh, yeah. Imagine grabbing a mannequin that was sort of soft, softish, having a little valve somewhere on mm. the on the mannequin, and then pumping it up, and it kind of blows up but doesn't explode. So I'm I'm thinking mm-hmm. because we're only going on what facts are available is that perhaps she had so much gas in her body she became like a sort of a mini zeppelin, and she's and you think that that pressure pulled her away from the the cord? Well, or? I think it would have helped raise her and possibly the slab. Isn't gotcha. that interesting? Okay. So yeah, that's bizarre. It's it's a weird case, and yeah. so. She's found, right? Um, her face is pretty... It's, it's, it's in a bad way, as, yep. as you mentioned. Mm. All right. Yep. So she hasn't been in the uh, water that long to be able to be sort of eaten and bitten up and sort of, you know, fish to yep. be eating her. Yep. So, yeah, it's she's only been in the water a few days. They get her to the, uh, to the morgue and, you know, they photograph everything. They do a fairly detailed... Um, list of you know, what she's wearing, mm-hmm. um, and she had a she had a necklace on, but she did a lot of other jewelry that we'll talk about was sort of was not there, and they identified her um, as Stella Ivy Farnworth, and she was sixty three years of age, and she'd been missing for six days. Okay, so. They took her fingerprints and they, yep. this is, this is pre, you know, this is going back a few years. They took samples of her hair and the government medical officer, he establishes that her skull had received multiple fractures. Okay. Okay. With one particular yep. blow to her right. Would have killed her? The, the coup de gras, I think it's called. The, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It, the, the fatal blow was to her right temple, which is sort of on the side of your head. Yeah. And it's sort of, I think, a slightly yeah. softer area. And yeah. they realized that she'd been floating for about 24 hours, but she'd been immersed in water for several days prior to that, which I think possibly works in with my theory of sinking, yeah. gassing up, coming to the surface. Which of course... So- Right. Oh, because I my read was completely wrong, and that was that she was killed and then kind of kept somewhere for a few days, maybe at the trunk of a car or whatever, and then um, and only disposed of at a more opportune time. Am I do I have that wrong? No, no. I think there are a couple of open ended theories, but it's a very intriguing and very sort of involved method of getting rid of a body. Um, so yeah. they've got they've got her right. They've got they've got the body. Um, they've got her. She was wearing a, and I was re- I was reading the police report from that era, from you know the forties, mm. uh, and they they referred to the gender of the corpse as an it. Do you, from a terminology perspective, when there's a dead body, does it cease being a man or a woman? No, it's just well, it's a always thing a, because no, they I've never. I'm not not familiar with that. I, we we always described it as a male person. Or... You know what I mean, though, right? Like I was reading this thing, and it's it was. Here's the quote: "It was dressed in a skirt, blouse, pantettes, brass, 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 brassier. Mm. God, no wonder they shortened it to bra. One socket inside which was a bunion pad. A necklace was around her throat. No other jewelry ornamentation was on the body." 
and the shoes were missing. Interestingly, that's I think that's just bad writing because they've said on her throat and they've referred to the body as an it. So I think that's just bad writing. Mm. Um, okay, so we, we know what she was wearing when she died. We know uh, that there was a blow that killed her. Mm. That's, you know, that's, that's pertinent. What I'm curious about, Dad, was typically speaking, statistically, you look at the husband, right? Correct. And now, tell me about this husband, because I know the inquiry went there, and God, he is a pretty sketchy guy. Can you talk me through uh, the husband in question? Yes, he um, he um, he gets interviewed by the police. Yeah. And look, it's it's kind of weird, not weird, but, you know, the police, you know, he was their main suspect. And, you know, the, the initial evidence was um was pointing to uh the husband and they found on the husband two telegrams that were addressed to him and they were dated the 12th and the 17th of december now they'd been lodged in Fremantle, which is sort of an adjoining they call it it's like another city or town it's, yeah, there's um there's an AFL team playing, I believe, today, the Fremantle Dockers. It's a yeah, it's a yeah. city it's a town in Perth. Yeah, yeah. And these two telegrams that he had were sent to him by his wife, okay? And the telegrams that he had on him that have been sent from that town, um they basically said that she was leaving for a town called Geraldton, which is a long, long way from Perth. And yeah. she basically said to her husband that she'd obtained um, some work up there. And mm-hmm. the, the problem, weirdly, was that one of the telegrams was dated after Mrs. Farnsworth was found in the Swan River. That's was that her name? Yeah, her name is um, yeah, Mrs. Farnsworth. Okay, so she here's the thing: she was living uh, under an assumed name. She was living, so she was going under the name Stella King, mm. uh, Mrs. Stella King, um, with Robert King. Now, Robert is the uh, is the partner in question. Um, the problem with Robert, of course, is that Dad he was a criminal at the time. He had a criminal record, mm. right? Yeah, that's right. So um, things aren't looking good for the husband. Basically. No, no. But he he gives an account to the police, and he describes in some detail between the eleventh and sixteenth of December all his you know his movements, and they talk to his associates, you know people that know him, and the police, who are more than aware, they might want or think that someone is a suspect, but. Good policing, which is a classic case yeah. of great policing, yeah. the facts begin to sort of they check out, and it's it's quite nice reading in this particular account that it, and I'll quote here it says it was checked and proved to be substantially true, which is interesting. That term substantially means not a hundred percent true, but mm-hmm. erring on that he was telling the truth. Okay, and. They sort of, you know, they at this stage, they began to analyze a lot of documents 
And by the way, said speaking of documents, yes. Yeah, so as we've discovered, um, because you, as you said, they figured out how long the body had been, you know, submerged. And there was a telegram that was sent on the seventeenth of December, which is after she was uh, after she was found in the river. Mm. In Swan River, which is bananas. No, so the husband... Yeah, ba- it's interesting, but Sorry, Paul, the offender would not have yeah. known at that point that the body had been found. There's no way that the offender... Uh, because yeah. it became a very big story in the media. Very big story. There's no way that the offender would then, once realising that the body's been found, he would not then have sent a, a telegram. So this telegram... These telegrams are very interesting because... They're trying to sort of distance, not the husband, but the actual murderer. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the uh, from the crime, right. and um, so they find these three telegrams, and one of them is sent from just the letter J. The second telegram is sent by with the name Jack, and the third telegram is Jacko. So you've got J, Jack, and Jacko, and mm-hmm. they appear on the surface to be just basically normal telegrams and they'd been sent from Kalgoorlie which is a very famous gold mining town mm-hmm. and this particular these telegrams said that uh, this person Jacko would meet her in Perth the following Thursday and that and this is when it gets I think quite exciting they find a pocket diary kept by Mrs Farnsworth and on that date so this telegram is saying that this person is going to meet her on the 11th of November. In her diary, she makes a notation to say that she's going to meet Jay at a Perth hotel. Okay, so they then know 
someone else is involved. I think that's really interesting. So this the police began to really just say, okay, it's definitely not the husband, but it's this guy called Jacko. And And this is all happening on the this is all happening on the day the first day of the investigation. Correct. Yeah? Yep. So this is the day that the body is found in the river, I believe. Mm. Um, and they've obviously learned a lot at this point. So, Dad, they find this guy, right? This businessman, Jacko, and they connect him to a uh, criminal called Leonard Charles Jackson, right? Mm. Who, as you said, is a businessman. Uh, and he's a big dude. And he was in Perth around the time she went missing. And they've got telegrams, but the problem is the handwriting just doesn't, it doesn't match. No, that's right. Uh, there's, there's, there's no comparison. Uh, yeah. And they grab him. So the detective in charge, um, they basically get him down and he denies everything, right? He's, he just denies, flatly denies everything. Hmm. He, um, these telegrams, Paul, they actually say that, um, I mean, he was ostensibly, he had a business um, in Kalgoorlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a businessman. Um, at least that's what we know. He it. said He's, he was. He said he was. Yeah. And, um, you know, these telegrams clearly, um, they're all the same in terms of handwriting. Mm-hmm. So they bring this guy in to the police station and they sit him down and they get him to write on blank telegraph cards yes. so you, telegra- sorry te- uh, telegra- telegraphs telegrams yeah mm. basically the form that you would have to fill in to, to that's you right know, um yeah and they're observing him now they've got a handwriting expert and i think from a historic perspective whilst we have moved into the realms of dna and you know digital face recognition and you know all sorts of dystopian sort of things as we go sort of move into a brave new world go back in time and things like handwriting were extremely important in court cases yeah. they were yeah. just they were so important i mean the when i joined the new south wales police force they had a handwriting section right they had detectives police that were experts in handwriting. I have a feeling, even though it, and it's very, very important still, but, you know, most people don't write letters. You know, if you're going to kidnap someone, you're probably going to send an email. Well, that's kind of why they, but also that's why they did the magazine letters, the newspaper letters back in the day so that you couldn't trace the handwriting. That's why they did it. That's right. So they set this guy up. Now, this is a, it turns out, Spoiler yep. alert that he's he's a he's a fucking hardcore criminal. He's he is actually look, it's interesting. He's wanted ah. in many, many states. Yeah, but they took him back to his hotel, right? Because mm. he's denying everything, the handwriting doesn't match up. They search him, uh and there's really nothing that they have to go on, but they do find a piece of paper they do on him. Mm. This is which has a sample of Yes, of his handwriting. Yeah, it was a sort of a, a an invoice, an inventory of stock that he was going to you know purchase for his business in Kalgoorlie. Yeah, yeah. But but Paul, when they sat him down initially to do the handwriting test, 
Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. He, he was writing in a very, very sort of deliberate, slow, methodical, very concentrated um, manner. And that's important to remember, that little fact. And, and you're right, Paul, they find this invoice on his person. Yeah. And of course, hey presto. It is, it's, a, it's a sample of his actual writing. It turns out that he was ambidextrous. Oh, and he simply, in front of the police, they don't know, he just switches, switches hand. Wild. And it's fantastic. But, but there were a couple of other little subtle things about... For example, there were a couple of words that he misspelt, uh-huh. and they were misspelt... Um, on the original telegrams and also I don't know how they did it but they got him to write um, again certain words that he wait so they basically it's right so the the telegrams from the wife Mm. right sent after she was killed Mm. had typos in them and then they get him to use those same words which he again misspells which is not it's not incredibly um, conclusive but this whole story we're talking about Paul is the essence of this story mm-hmm. is about circumstantial evidence. That's yep. all. That's all. Yep. They need to to um, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in front of a a jury that this particular offender and the offender does not have to make admissions. In no, fact, you, you don't. That's not the, the like. They have a right. There's no nothing in law that says you must. You must. You don't have to kind say of anything. Cooperate. You know, yeah, it, yeah. Well, you, yeah. You don't have to say anything. It's the it's the Miranda rights, right? But listen, he was he speaking of hands. You mentioned hands before. Mm. He had a cut Correct. on one of his hands, right? Mm. Uh, and then they went to his hotel, and I have a list here of things they found, mm. which apparently were damning, and I'd like you to explain why, if possible, once we get mm. to that point. So yep, yep. they found a uh, they found a watch, yep. uh, which is which is broken. They found a tin of ointment uh, prescribed to him, had his name on it, had the mm. date of the yep. 12th of December, 46. Then they found uh, a waterlogged receipt. Oh, this is a classic. The, I know. So basically it's, saying that he'd hired a, a car. Number 144 was the number of the car, and it was hired between the 9th of December and the 13th of December. And then they found uh, his suit, which had been sort of cleaned and pressed and whatnot. Mm. Problematically, though... Uh, there was still a stain on there, which you know shabby, hadn't come out. Shabby dry cleaning. Isn't yeah. that weird? We're talking about dry cleaning because we it all is know. weird. Yes, it is weird. Week yeah, we, uh, yeah. The mutilator. Yep. So the gent's wristwatch. Uh huh. It had a broken glass, and it's described in the police report as the fingers missing. Never seen that's written before, but we know that this that actually means the hands. Hands. But isn't yep. that kind of sweet? Like hands, fingers are connected to hands. So it's kind of slightly logical the way mm-hmm. this has been presented. So to break your watch and also lose the hands would in would indicate mm-hmm. um, something violent, a struggle because it's I know that, you know, I'm a serious I love I love my watches. And people that wear watches generally they they become it's like a sort of an instinctive protective thing where you always are very aware of not even scratching or knocking your watch. You don't like to. So 
what on earth he did to create this damage to his watch. That's fascinating. The tin of ointment with his name on it is, to me, it's a beacon. It's like a laser beam because it's mm-hmm. at the time or thereabouts of... It, it fits in with the dates of the crime. And it also fits in with his injury to his hand. And then, I mean, to have a number plate, <laughs> even back then, I mean, not a lot of people had cars, but there were a lot of cars around. But Number 144. Number it's very specific. Uh, very yeah, specific. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he is continually denying, as he's entitled to do, every single piece of evidence that's put towards him. Yeah, but it's not just about evidence because the fact is he's he's staying at this hostel, right? They've just searched the room. They found the evidence. We just walked you through, listeners. And then the police do a very basic thing. They talk to other people who are staying at the hostel and go, hey, have you seen this woman? And multiple people, multiple people. Including say, a, yeah. a police officer who was really? doing point duty. Okay, And yep. he actually, when he heard about it, he, he basically got really excited and he... He sort of heads into the detective's office and said, I think it's to do with the number 144. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's it's bizarre. And he recalled that number plate. For him to recall a number plate would indicate that he looked at it and really took note of it. And, of course, the car also was, was, was speeding. Yeah. And... But multiple saw. people, multiple people, yeah, not just this cop, multiple people say they saw Jackson and the uh, the deceased woman together in the car, right? Mm. Mm. And then and it was, they... wasn't it, it was like towed or something, wasn't it? Okay, well, what happened was the car after this event was yep. then hired or leased out to <gasps> other people. So it, it had been driving around Perth yeah. for some time. They then locate the car. They 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 bring it to their. Um, they sort of impound it, and they begin what to they... do a mm-hmm. thorough forensic. Look at the car. Have you seen photos of the car, Paul? It's such. No, a, I have not. It's sort I of a, It's an old sort of. Yeah, it's a nineteen forties. Just basically, probably highly desirable. Probably oh. be in. It should be in a museum now. And what they do, they find in the back seat. Yep. And weirdly entwined around the window winder mm-hmm. is human hair. Remember those window winders? The no, I've, I, Paul, Paul, I've still got them in my ute. You still, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yep. so they find hairs. Yep. They find, what else do they find in the car? Which is, now, by the way, the odd, I, I find it insane that you could be riding around Renting it, you get you rent a car to drive around. You give it back, and then you find out that you've been driving around in a murder, like a I crime know. scene. I know, yeah. And <sighs> they mustn't have done a very good job at the cleaning company, or the hire car company. Yep. Thank, thank God. They, thank God, because basically everything's there. They then find mm-hmm. um, broken glass, yep. and the broken glass is in what they describe as a radiating pattern, which means. It's basically something has happened in the back seat of the car. A point of impact or something. Point of like impact yep. with an object. The glass has basically just shattered and 
it sort of travels out in sort of many, many directions. And then under microscope, they discovered that the pieces of glass had blood splashes, okay? And then they looked on the ceiling of the car, the roof, and sure enough, they found tiny, tiny fragments of blood, which indicated there'd been a blunt force trauma to someone in the back of the vehicle and yep. as the as the, the the let's just call it the murder weapon was being driven down onto the offender now and let's just sort of pull back to the injuries that we do know had occurred to this particular woman they were all head and facial injuries so one can imagine there is a woman in the back of this car and the the offender is is leaning over her and he's basically bashing her and we can then surmise by the numerous pieces of glass and blood stains splatter splains uh, splatter splains fuck splatter on the roof uh we begin to sort of create this this image of something incredibly violent because we've got witnesses saying that they were seen in the car together that's right the this is pretty this seems very if you'll forgive the pun watertight Mm, yeah and then um underneath the um the carpet in the back seat of the car, they find a large dried bloodstain. And and there was a lot of broken glass. Okay. Then now the colour of the glass is important in that it was sort of a brownie colour. And that particular glass was used in the manufacture of beer bottles. And so they're putting together a fair bit of information. So Basically, they're getting a strong case together. And Jackson appears in court. 19th of December, yeah? Mm. And they had um, lots of witnesses. They had a, an identity parade, uh, up to 20 people in the parade, which is a massive number. By the way, one of the points here, Dad, I was confused as to how uh, a jar of prescribed ointment could in any way be damning for Jackson, but it turns out that it was specifically for the cut on his hand. So you've got the person who prescribed it to Jackson saying, yes, he had a bad cut on his hand. That's what it was for. You've got people who come in and say that they saw him in possession of the jewelry that was purported to be on her body. You've got people coming in uh, and basically calling him on his bullshit on every single count, including um, proof that he tried to clean the, the car. Yep. Yeah, to get rid of the evidence. I mean, it seems like nobody could clean this fucking car. Um, so we've got a pretty clear story, and the case goes for what, four, five, six. It, it, like it, it's happening pretty fast, mm. right? Mm. That's but thorough though. Yeah, I mean, no, that's excellent. It's excellent no, it's police good. work, and I'll be honest, Dad. It's it's comforting to see that back in the forties, mm. police work was being done. You know, to this level of detail. It's great police work. The, the yeah. detective in charge, you really, really have to uh, to tip your hat. And they all wore hats. Yeah, very hat-heavy society. They all wore hats. And Is uh, it fair to say, is it fair to say, Dad, that Jackson was trying to frame the uh, husband? Were they married? They were, they were living together as if they were married, but let's say, let's say husband. Was he trying to frame... Uh, Hobson, I believe, was his name. Mm. He actually says, uh, because he gets to present uh, his own evidence 
um, through the Defence Council. And his argument was that he actually witnessed the husband push her off the first floor of the boarding house. And he said that he was then being sort of intimidated Mm -hmm. to to keep his mouth shut. Uh, Of course, that's, you know, that's bullshit. So it's an eight-day trial, yeah? Mm. It's, It's pretty fucking watertight. Um, it takes the jury about ninety minutes to deliberate. Yeah, uh, that's and short. let's that's very that's, short. That's pretty fucking fast. Now yeah. let's just deal with what happens on one thirty a.m. in the morning, mm. nineteen forty-seven. It's the seventeenth of April, nineteen forty-seven. Yep. Uh, and uh, who is found in their cell, and in what condition are they found, Dad? Okay, so. The the gentleman who had been found guilty, Jackson, yeah, of the murder. Mm-hmm. He um, it was just a few days before he was going to be uh, sentenced to death. Yep, and they checked on him in his cell, mm-hmm. and he had taken his own life. Yes, he was uh, he was deceased. 48 years old at the time. He'd spent most of his life being... He had all kinds of criminal stuff going on, but what a... I don't want to... I don't like saying this, but what a anti-climax. You no. Know, it's, mm-hmm. Yes, but the, but then two months after that... Oh, the, God, yes. On the 14th of June... Yeah. Um, Robert Alfred Hobson, who was... The husband. And who Jackson or, had been trying to implicate in the crime, he was accidentally burnt to death um, at his place of work. So it's that's three people have just gone. And um, it's a very, very interesting story, but it's, the, I guess, the most important part of this particular story is the extraordinary work the police did. They were incredibly diligent. They left no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. And I... Is that a pun? That's a that's a good pun, but I guess the thing that sort of is unanswered in my mind, Paul, yeah, is why why did it happen? What was the motive? Yeah, it surely it wasn't um, the theft uh, of, of of her belongings. Um, it's it's weird. I mean, there's actually one count uh, reported citing of the car 144 being driven by the offender and the deceased, but also in the car at one stage was another woman who was a friend of hers from the boarding house. So bizarre. That's bizarre. I mean, that means that the three of them at some point were driving. They may have well have been going for a picnic. Uh, we don't know. What we on don't earth, know. what triggered that, that, that momentous event where he's basically taken her, he's, he's stoved her head in with a, with a beer bottle, he has sustained physical injuries to himself, he's broken his watch, and then came up with this incredibly bizarre and complicated, convoluted and very sort of intense method of getting rid of the body. It's, yep. And it completely failed. And was, sending fake correspondence from the dead woman to implicate the husband. It's all... 
super tangled and super sketchy. And yes, it is. Uh, it's just another week mm. on loose units, the Shadow Files. Honestly, the, well, Dad, I really appreciate you cluing us all into this. I would say largely untold story mm, from definitely. Australian yeah. true crime history. It's yeah. it's been very interesting. Mm. Um, now. I'll let you go because you're currently in Greece and the time zone thing is absolutely killing us. But we will be back in a couple of days with a brand new episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends. That's going to be fun. In the meantime, everyone, have a great week and we will see you soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.